0: Welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast. I'm Professor Drew Dawson of the University of Miami School of Law and the Robert M. Zeman Resident Scholar for the spring of 2017. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Israel Shaked and Robert Riley about their recently updated book, A Practical Guide to Bankruptcy Valuation. The ABI has recently published the second edition to this book, which provides essential insights into bankruptcy valuation issues. Dr. Shaked is a founder and managing director of the Michael Shaked Group in Boston. He's also a professor of finance and economics at the Boston University Questrom School of Business, where he teaches courses on business valuation and corporate finance, among others. Robert Riley is a managing director of Willamette Management Associates in Chicago. His practice focuses on providing business valuation, forensic analysis, and financial advisory services. Thank you both for joining me today, and congratulations on publishing the second edition. Thank you. Thank you. So I I thought we'd start with sort of a broad question of the intended audience, and I might start by asking you, Robert, who exactly did you have in mind when you were writing this book?
1: Well, uh, I think we really had several different audiences in mind. Probably first and foremost what was, of course, Bankruptcy Council and, and Bankruptcy Finders of Fact, who are obviously involved in valuation issues within a, a bankruptcy controversy, but also we, we were considering non-valuation financial advisors who are involved in, in bankruptcy issues, and the bankruptcy participants themselves—you know, debt debt uh, debtors in possession and and various creditors—but we also so those would be the primary audiences. But we are also considering that this text would be helpful to less experienced valuation practitioners, actual valuation practitioners who may have a little bit less experience and are looking for professional guidance with regard to how to perform certain types of valuation assignments. And finally, to actually more experienced valuation practitioners who are looking to this text as more of a, a quality control or a professional standards review checklist that they can do just to kind of review their work before they before they finalize the valuation assignment.
0: Well, that's great. Israel, does that about fit with, you know, what you thought as well or who you were writing for?
1: Yeah, there's
2: there one way, addition that they would like to add, and that's like Robert and I thought about that after we came out with the first edition that uh, one the second edition basically is much more catered also to people who are absolutely novice. Say that you know nothing about valuation, forget even bankruptcy. We have many, many more pieces that deal with fundamentals. So we added another segment, which are even students that study valuation. Uh, 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 other professionals like Robert said that are not necessarily expert in valuation, but somehow ended up being in a bankruptcy-related uh, context or situation. And, and that's really a, a segment that we now aim to, and before that, we really didn't cater to.
1: Now, that's actually right, because I, I, I've heard this, and I'll bet you did as, as well, Israel, where some folks would say, you know, the first edition of the book really should have been titled Specialized Topics in Bankruptcy Valuation, because it was c- kind of an advanced level textbook. I think we've really very consciously tried to make this second edition more of a of a principles of valuation textbook, obviously geared towards towards bankruptcy, but we, we in addition to having chapters that are advanced chapters on very specialized topics, we've added a lot of principles of valuation chapters that, that can be used by someone who's not an experienced valuation analyst.
2: That that's actually a uh, an important point of the or element of the second edition. And I want, I want to give an example. Robert and I, when we had the second edition, the flows, what are the potential problems with discounted cash flow, and down before doing the second one and say, wait a minute, some people even don't know how the DCF really works. What is time value of money? What are the fundamentals of finance leading to it? So for example, we had chapter four, which is now foundation of discounting the time value of money. And uh, That one was not before, or oh, discounted cash flow, the basics. Uh, we added a lot of that. Same thing for cost of capital. Before that, we wrote about how people fight and, and argue and so on about cost of capital. Now we have a, an element or chapter called or section, fundamentals of the cost of capital. So I, I consider, or we consider, this addition to really widen the audience. Actually I never used it in my classroom for example, because it was very much Mm bankruptcy-specific. Now there are at least 20 chapters that are valuation-generic with some application for bankruptcy that can be used even by non-bankruptcy experts that want to know valuation.
1: Oh, that's right. Certainly we we cover specialized or or advanced bankruptcy valuation issues. But in the first edition, and and we said this in the introduction, we kind of assumed the reader would know the basics of the income approach and the market approach and the asset based approach to business valuation. Here we don't make that assumption. We have chapters on the income approach and the market approach and the asset based approach to business valuation with a particular emphasis on the on the asset based approach which which wasn't covered very much at all in the first edition. And we have chapters on identifying and quantifying valuation discounts and and, and premiums and chapters on identifying and valuing real estate and and tangible personal property and intangible personal property within a debtor company. And those topics were were pretty much assumed in in the first edition, then we went right into advanced topics. Now it really starts from a very introductory level and and moves towards a a more advanced
0: level. I'm not a valuation expert. And so I found the book book very helpful in that regard. I I found it to be accessible. And um, at the same time, though, I could imagine that someone who actually were, were more experienced in this field, who had more knowledge, would still find it pretty easy to navigate to find the sort of the higher level, more advanced sort of techniques and issues that you identify in the book.
1: Well, it does move, I mean, it, and we did this very consciously. We, it does move from a, a more introductory chapters to to more advanced chapters. And I think we also made a real effort to expand the glossary and expand the index. So for people who are experienced practitioners, whether valuation practitioners or, or, or legal counsel, who just want to focus on one issue, they can find that one issue pretty quickly and, and hopefully get the, get the professional guidance they're looking for.
2: i give you an example of what we say expanding to higher levels. Uh, in the first book, we did talk about valuation of intangible assets. And, we, you know, we thought, what do you need about it to identify the intangible assets and then valuation? If you go now to chapter 11 of the book, it has 10 sections, tiny mini chapters, on valuation of debt or company intangible assets, things like valuation of intangible assets, uh, intellectual property, uh, customer intangible, contract intangible, every one of them is a, a 10, 15-page analysis. Now, we never went to this detail, but you realize that the market increasingly is interested. Market means uh, bankruptcy, lawyers, mm-hmm. counsels, professionals, in valuation of intangible, and it was too small a proportion in the first edition. And in the second edition, we expanded it to respond to market needs.
0: I want to talk about those market needs. You know, what are some of the major valuation issues facing lawyers and financial experts today operating in the bankruptcy context? Uh, Israel, I might start, ask you to start out with that.
2: Okay. The, the very major one is that many of the bankruptcies today, given that there are lots of intellectual property and so on, there is not much to liquidate. You know, you have a high-tech company. It's gone, but they do have the patents, mm-hmm. the whole kind of thing, uh, you know, uh, that have some value. And before that, the emphasis was on, em- em- uh, on valuing a company's entirety. Now, many of these companies today in-, in the Internet environment, they do have properties, but as we said, we have intangible. So that's one is very, very different from what it used to be. It used to be a small part of our business, Roberts and mine, and now it's increasing one. The other one is that there are also many, many uh, situations where companies are liquidated. Uh, Think about borders, borders books, for example. Mm -hmm. The business concept was wrong. We couldn't fix it. I mean, my my friend of mine was a trustee for that one, couldn't find a solution. Then it's liquidated. And the question is how you maximize the value in a case of Chapter 7. In the old days, it was all Chapter 11. So we need all these appraisal methodologies that we really don't emphasize on that, but we do have the real estate and some other aspects. So there, are, there is a change in the market for bankruptcy valuation needs.
1: Well, and these are very practical issues. You know, I would say, and maybe I'm going to say something, and I think Israel would agree with this because we've both been doing this for many, many decades, probably more than we want to admit, but it's relatively easy to conclude the business overall business enterprise value uh, of, of a debtor company or a debtor in possession. But that, that you know, and that's usually where the issue starts. It's not where the issue stops. The, what the real issue is in, in, in many bankruptcy cases is how do you allocate that overall business enterprise value to the various classes of debt holders and equity holders and option holders? How do you perform the waterfall analysis to get from the total value uh, of the the debtor company down to the different stakeholder interests. How to find out, for instance, who's the fulcrum stakeholder in that debtor company. That's often a a really contentious issue. Likewise, how do you allocate that total business enterprise value to the asset side? of the debt a company balance sheet how do you take the total business value and allocate that to the real estate to the tangible personal property to the identifiable intangible assets to the to the goodwill you know, how do you allocate the whole down to the parts? And, and we devote a, a lot of frankly pages to those topics of 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 allocating value to different debt and equ- equity constituents Alloc- allocating value to different tangible asset and intangible asset constituents of, of the debt of company. Because, you know, not surprising to anyone who's going to be listening to this, there could be a lot of different uh, creditors who have a lot of different security interests and a lot of different classes of assets that they, while they're interested in what's the total debt of company value, they're also interested in what's the value of the particular class of asset or the particular class of debt or equity instrument that they're associated with. Along these lines about
2: talking about valuation of assets, in in the past, people were focusing, obviously, which is, they're still doing in, in large degree, on the income approach, which is like discounted cash flow methodology, and on the market approach. It's like multiples for publicly traded companies or transactions. Now, we realize that many times, courts in certain situations would like to know the asset-based approach valuation methods. So we added an entire chapter. We used to have one line. Now we have three sections, Uh, asset-based approach, the adjusted net asset value, the asset accumulation method. We never had it before because the interest in this kind of uh, methodologies was minimal at best. And now increasingly, in certain situations, the um, traditional methodologies that usually are more preferred... Cannot be really applied. So, in response to these needs, we added this chapter six that really focus on what we call asset based valuation methods.
1: Well, that's right. We really tried to make the book more applicable to more valuation issues. You know, if the issue was, is the debtor company solvent or insolvent? on a certain date or when did it go from being solvent to insolvent Then, using overall business valuation approaches like Israel says an income approach or a market approach, well that'll answer that question but if you're a particular class of 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 creditor for instance and you have a security interest in a particular class of tangible asset or intangible asset you, you, you want a more microscopic, not a macroscopic analysis. You want a microscopic analysis of the value of that particular asset category, that particular debtor. And, you know, we've expanded the book to include those microscopic analysis as well as the the macroscopic analysis.
0: Well, it's really interesting, right? Because Chapter 11 practice has definitely changed in many important ways. And I think you hit on or hint at this at least, right? We've seen more complicated capital structures. We also see a Increasingly sophisticated creditor bodies and distressed debt investors—is that driving some of the changes and the need for valuation services?
1: Well, I, I would say it really is in a lot of ways. Again, if you're if you a particular class of creditor, you know it, it, you're really interested in what we typically call the waterfall analysis. It, it's, in, it's interesting, it's and it's a starting point, and it's an important starting point. What's the overall? value of the invested capital of the debtor company, the the overall value of the the total debt and the total equity combined. But you're also really interested in the value of your class of debt, you know, one particular credit security interest. uh, You're interested in the value of your particular uh, class of security, and you're interested in the value of any collateral security interest related to that particular class of security. And... You, you're just not the fact that the overall company may have an invested cap, capital value of X dollars. is, again, that's the starting point, but it's not the ending point. That doesn't really address your particular issue, which is what's the value of my claim on the assets of that debtor company? So you have, really have to get down to the security holder level and to the, and to the, the security interest level.
2: There, there is another aspect that we added. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, and here is the point. All evaluation, you know, when you come to bankruptcy, the question is, are we better off with a company dead or alive? And if it's, you know, uh, uh, alive, how do we split the pie, ownership and so on? Mm-hmm. Now, 90 plus percent or most important factor in all this analysis are the projections. Like we always say to our students, it's junk in and junk out. If the assumptions don't make sense, the analysis is not credible, and, and, and many experts often are criticized by judges for really not making credible projections. Now, in the first edition, we never even paid attention to any of that, because we assume that people know that, you know, projections have to be reasonable. And now we added, like, a whole chapter, which is Chapter 12, the role of projections and uncertainty in valuation. And the first part uh, calls about uh, making a credible projection. Now, that's really important, and people, whether they're lawyers or hire experts, like stakeholders, they have to know that getting excited about the results, that's not enough. The most important part is to start convincing the judge or all the parties involved that the assumptions on which the valuation are based or is based is are uh, actually uh, making sense. And that's really important, because if you don't make this test of reasonableness. The rest of that is, is you know, is, is going to fail. And and these are the little aspects, not so little. But we thought that uh, at the beginning we took them for granted in the first edition, and now we added them uh, really as an important element
1: of the book. Well, and I think that in part that's because the the finders of fact are really expecting, and may, maybe other bankruptcy participants as well, are are, are expecting more. From valuation analysts, than maybe they did 10 years ago. Let's say, where valuation analysts then, you know, were just responsible for conc- coming up with a valuation conclusion. Now, I think we're really expected to do a lot of due diligence analysis, to do a lot of in investigation, to do a lot of forensic accounting, to really, as Israel says, to really have an, an explanation uh, a- and a documented investigation. Supporting each valuation variable, each component of, of the valuation, including each component, each cell in, in a set of, of financial projections. Uh, so we, we spend a lot of uh, pages in the book talking about due diligence procedures, more forensic accounting oriented, that that you have to, the procedures you have to perform before you actually get to performing the valuation itself.
2: And I think another aspect that. Not that the judges were not good before, but I think judges became more valuation educated They are more sophisticated in this aspect. Before they were pretty good in the law or legal side. And cases that we were involved, and uh, involved in, one of them was a, a couple of years ago when I was there, and there were seven or eight experts, the judge himself cross-examined every one of the experts for, I would say, between one and two hours going to detail valuation aspects. Now, I don't remember having anything like that two, three decades ago. It really changed. The experts became more sophisticated, the stakeholders, the the lawyers, and most importantly also the judges. So you are likely to be challenged, whether you are a lawyer or expert, by a judge. If the assumptions don't make sense, if the methodology is not traditional, and if it's not, you have to justify why you don't use a traditional all environment became not only more competitive, but really more knowledge-based intensive. And that's really part of what we try to do in the book.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I I want to ask a question. I don't want this to sound indelicate, but, you know, as I attend a lot of ABI conferences. I know you do too, and many of our listeners do. And occasionally we'll see vendors selling software programs. You know, they say they can automate a lot of these, the valuation process. So... If I could buy software that could do a lot of this work, why, why exactly would I need a you know almost seven hundred page book? What what value does a, does this does your book add that I couldn't get from software?
2: Okay, let let me pick up this question. I, I absolutely love the question, and the reason is um, just last month we have an ABI uh, meeting in uh, in uh, the annual big meetings in in Washington DC, and not talking about any specific vendor. Walking around the exhibits, one person approached me and say, what are you doing? And I say, I'm an expert or financial. He didn't, I didn't say exactly what I know and what I don't know. <laughs> and he said, look, I have a valuation software for you. And I say, what does he do? He said exactly what it says. He does a valuation. Now, if mm-hmm. valuation would be so automated, uh, uh, we would be all useless, which is fine. But between you and me, I do it for uh, 43 years or so, 44 years. Uh, There is almost one week that somebody who works with me doesn't come into my room and ask me some question, and I say, oh, my God, I haven't thought about that. So I don't believe, uh, even though there are expert systems, that somebody can and will develop a a software that will approach and and, and handle all these problems. Dynamic change, securities are changing. Rules are changing. I don't believe that the, uh, software like that exists. It might be some approximation, but really, the, the real trick are the few important elements that cannot be too easily automated by artificial intelligence uh, methodologies. I, I don't believe it exists. Fortunately, maybe for some of us.
0: <laughs> Robert, would you like to chime in?
1: Oh, I, I would, because I, I'm, sure, I, I, I'm sure at my firm, I'm sure at, 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 at Israel's firm as well, we, we use a, or, automated models that allow us to perform the mathematics of valuation. Now, that that can be automated, and it is. We've all developed our own models internally, but you can buy commercially available software packages. But when the experienced professional valuation analyst comes in, 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 into play, is first first, complying with professional standards, which is pretty darn important. But secondly, it takes the, the experienced analyst to first select, and then support, and then document, and finally to defend the individual valuation variables. It's the valuation variables that make the, the, the valuation. It's not the mathematics. Now, obviously, you have to get the mathematics right, and the computer model can do that for you. But you have to put in the valuation variables. And the models can't do that. Even some of these models that say, "You tell me a four-digit SIC code for the debtor company, and I'll give you the range of all of the pricing multiples from all the publicly traded companies in that industry." Well, what it does, it comes back and tells you the range of EBITDA multiples goes from say eight times to twelve times, and the median is ten, and the mean is eleven, and then stops. Well, you know, that that's math. But then you as the analyst, you have to actually select what multiple do I apply to my subject company. It's probably not the mean, it's probably not the median. Your your debtor company is not the average company in that industry unless the average company in that industry is in in bankruptcy, which is probably not the case. You have to perform a lot of individual and a lot of debtor-specific analyses to take that array of data and actually select and document and defend the, the right multiples to apply to the subject company. So these software packages you know have a a, a, a place, but they're not going to replace the, 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 the valuation judgment that comes from the the experienced analyst, even at that again that overall level, the level of concluding the the market value of invested capital, sometimes called now book MVIC or the business enterprise value, sometimes we abbreviate that BEV. But even if you you can, can use these models at that level, the models don't go the final step that we were talking about earlier. You still need to use the individual analyses to allocate that overall value down to the individual stakeholders using that waterfall analysis. You still need to allocate the overall value down to the individual tangible assets and intangible assets in a waterfall analysis. And so far, I've never seen any software package that performs that waterfall analysis that gets the value allocated down to an individual debt holder or equity holder or to an individual category of tangible assets or intangible assets. That's the valuation analyst job.
2: I, I will tell you, give you one example that I really like a lot and I use in my classroom. Uh, we use methodology called guideline-comparable companies. So it's publicly, company, uh, publicly traded companies traded in the market, similar to yours. And uh, I went to testify before jury in New York on a bike accessory company. Now, the bike accessory company is part of what they call the sporting goods. That has an SIC code, which is a number for uh, the industry. So the other side went automatically, like you say, found the same SIC code and found companies like fishing roads, Swimming pools, they're all in the same sporting goods company. Now, we all know that the demand demand for bike accessory has zero correlation with building swimming pools or going to fish. <laughs> okay? And, and the jury really had a great time on that one. And the guy said, look, I use the same SIC code, and that's what the computer pulled out for me. Now, that's really bad. You need lots of judgment. Obviously, most things can be automated. The 10, 15, 20% of the input that is based on judgment, that's where is the added value of people like us or the accounting, accountant in accounting and so on. So you cannot really fully automate it. You can
1: end up with major mistakes and really embarrass yourself. Well, and again, even if the software package can, and I would argue whether it can or not, but even if it can conclude an overall business enterprise value, these packages don't tell you when and why the debtor company value changed over Mm -hmm. time. So that they don't tell you when the company went from being solvent to being insolvent. And they certainly don't tell you why the debtor company went from being solvent to being insolvent. You know, you need the individual, experienced, uh, credentialed analyst to do that. The software packages have a place. That they, I, frankly, I think they make my work and Israel's work a little bit more efficient, because, again, they can do the math for us relatively quickly. But the, the, the inputs and the interpretation of the outputs, mm-hmm. you know, for that you need the, the experienced uh, and credentialed valuation analyst.
2: Right. For example, these days, unrelated to bankruptcy, we value some media company in Europe. Now, to find the comparable company you have to go first in the same country and then maybe in some other European country countries to see whether in the same line. Now it might be a media companies that has mostly newspapers, the other one would be mostly T V. These are different markets. So the judgment still the analyst judgment and experience is a major input into all this process. I don't believe that it can be fully automated. There are obviously many, like Robert said, many of the mathematics and the calculation. (laughs) We are not going to replace computers. But the judgment, if you don't have this element of somebody experienced and knows what he or she is doing, as I said, the results can be very ugly.
0: Well, thank you both. That was a really thoughtful response. And we're just about the end of our time here. before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to add about the second edition that you would like uh, our listeners to understand?
1: Well, I guess I would add one thing. It's almost related to what we were just talking about. You know, the uh, fact that, that, that some uh, folks actually like the idea of, of automated valuation software packages because they believe that there's one absolutely empirically correct precise down to the third or fourth decimal place, correct value for each debtor company as of each particular date. And the fact is that that's not the case. I don't know that that's the case in valuing any type of business security, ownership interest, or intangible asset in any context. It's certainly not true in the case of bankruptcy valuations, where there's one absolutely right answer. And then every other answer is wrong, and that right answer is precise to three or four decimal places. There's always a reasonable range of correct answers, and we've tried to stress that in the second edition, that these evaluation approaches, methodologies, and procedures will get you to a reasonable and supportable and hopefully well-documented correct Range of values, but the fact is that if you believe there's one correct answer, and then every other answer is and that answer is absolutely correct, and then every other answer is absolutely incorrect, well then you've really misinterpreted what what business ownership interest, security, and intangible asset valuation is all about.
2: And my 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 point about the second edition is. You know, the difference between accountant and finance. Accounting, people look to the past, what happened, and finance look to the future. So I already look at the third edition for now. My point (laughs) to the audience, if anybody listens, and he gets a book and says that there are some aspects, we never know, that are really important to a person. They are not there. Robert and I would love to get some feedback. Using our readership as as a focus group is the best thing that one can do. We are not going to cover every possible subject, but I, we would like to have a more interactive and more input from the readers whenever we sit down in the future and, you know, revise it, because we did a lot between first and second edition, but uh, a third edition, in my opinion, whenever it will come to you, so now I know it's a bit late, uh, early, it should be based on feedback from readers, and, and th- that's what we'd love to get.
0: Well, thank you very much everyone listening today, you can can purchase the second edition of A Practical Guide to Bankruptcy Valuation at the ABI Bookstore. Thank you for tuning in today. I want to thank our guests for joining me. Uh, Please remember, if you enjoyed this program, we have over 200 other podcasts available at the ABI Online Newsroom. Until next time, this is Drew Dawson signing off and thanking you for listening to this edition of ABI Podcast.